0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Talent Talk. So happy that you're here. Uh, it's 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday, which means we are live taping this show. And thank you so much for everyone who is tuning in live, although most of you get us later on in the podcast, and that's totally cool, too. In fact, we've had, I don't know, 3 4 million downloads last year of the show. We've had so many fantastic guests that people continue to want to listen to. And that's really what this show is all about, is to have a great conversation with a really smart person who's doing a lot of cool stuff that we can learn from, right? That we can pick their brains, find out what they're thinking about, what are they worried about, what books are they reading, what are they thinking maybe might happen in the near future that we might you know, make some sort of adjustment for uh, or, or plan for. So uh, that's really the, the cusp of the show because I used to have these conversations all the time, but it was just me and that other person on the phone or... At a conference or you know at a coffee shop, and I learned a lot and I got you know some of the best advice in some of those conversations, but I realized it's so much better if everyone else got to listen in and they got to contribute so if you want to ask a question if you want to comment on things that we've talked about today, you can also follow us on Twitter at peopleg two or the hashtag talent talk uh, Angela, my social media uh, person will be live tweeting all the best stuff and links to books and profiles and all of that so you can definitely be a part of the conversation. And if you ask a great question, we might even try to squeeze it in if you're listening live. Um, We've had so many wonderful stories. I put a lot of them in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. But I actually have a new book coming out this this month. In fact, it just arrived at my house the other day uh, Mm -hmm. from the publisher. I'm super excited. It's called Remote Work. Um, And it's really a culmination of of years and years of, of having my teams all work remotely uh, my co-author working remotely, and there's a lot of really cool uh, stories of different companies that have been getting it and doing it right, whether it was before or during COVID. So look for that if you're interested. Um, but uh, let's talk about who's on the show today. I'm really excited. We're going to have my first guest will be Lars Schmidt. He's the founder of Redefining HR Accelerator, and then we're going to bring in uh, Shannon Russo after the commercial break at Canintex. She's the CEO and founder of that company. Uh, so we're going to have a uh, really kind of diverse conversation here today. But, you know, let's go ahead and bring in Lars. Thank you so much for being on the show today, man.
2: Yeah. Hey, it's good to be here. I appreciate you
1: uh, bringing me in. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, Lars, you're, you're, I know you're a writer for Fast Company. You're a co-author of Employer Branding for Dummies uh, and a host of Redefining HR podcast. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, I, I think if people aren't already impressed, he was named as a top 100 uh, influencer by HR examiner. He's included in the Huffington Post top 100 most social HR experts on Twitter and named a top 50 recruiting influencer by LinkedIn. I don't know what's next for you, but I'm excited to find out. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, you know, what What else should people know about you? What's What's important for them to know about your background and and what you're passionate about to kind of frame our conversation today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, you know, listening to someone read your bio is always a uh, a a a humbling and strange thing. I think the most important thing for your listeners to know about me is uh I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, I'm an entrepreneur, and really kind of at my core, all the things you mentioned, that is the end result of my kind of personal mission, which is really accelerating uh the evolution of the field of HR, you know, accelerating our capabilities, accelerating our impact, um, accelerating Uh, the the work that we do in the field. So um, there's a variety of ways that I do that, but at its core, uh, that's really what drives me.
1: I would say the first two or three years of the show, we talked about HR having a seat at the table. That was a very constant conversation. And although it was a good one to have and important to have, I was really happy when the conversation kind of shifted to something else. But for a while, that was really kind of like a big thing for HR, right? Like when are they going to have a, not just be the ones being told what was decided, but be at that meeting at that table to help with what was being decided. So what are maybe, what's is, is that still something that they're talking about or, or, or are there kind of new things that you think are kind of really uh, fundamental for, for HR pros right now that is part of that conversation?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, we're still talking about it in some circles. Uh, we shouldn't be. I, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, it, so in, in my book, Redefining HR, what, some of the core kind of underpinnings of it was really comparing and contrasting legacy HR to modern HR and yeah. how they're different. And I think if you look at legacy HR and you dissect how they were structured, um, they really embraced command and control structures. Uh, and they did that because they saw control as a pathway to power and that pathway to power as the opportunity to get that seat at the table. The reality is the opposite happened. It pissed off employees. It, it cost them credibility with leaders uh, and, ex- and their executive peers because it looked like uh, it was creating unnecessary bureaucracy and process mm-hmm. for the sake of process. If you shift to the other end of that spectrum and you kind of break down modern HR teams and modern people teams. There's no insecurity there. They, they know the value they bring to the business, particularly at the leadership level. Um, they're an essential, an integral part of the executive team. They're viewed that way from their executive peers. And their model is more around decentralize and empower. It's about actually moving as much of the, the day to day decision making down to the business, allowing managers to manage, leaders to lead, creating you know constructs and frameworks uh, that support them to do that. Um, but not inserting uh, themselves into the day-to-day operations of teams. That That's a big shift when you kind of compare legacy teams to modern teams.
1: seen a huge sort of jump in the you know, chief people officer type position. So it seems like companies are starting to think about having someone who is thinking more strategically and and, and, and is involved in those types of things. I mean, for years, you could kind of balance, you could kind of see – some of the weirdness happening inside of HR. And I think some pressures, legal pressures, which were like, well, you don't want to get sued, so make everything the same and make sure you document everything. And your five page employee handbook turned into a 5,000 page employee handbook, right? And yet, if I look at some of the best examples, like we had the head of uh, people for GM on, and they said that you know their, their uh, dress code is two words, dress appropriately, that's it the average employee handbook and there is probably 20 pages about that because somebody wasn't doing it right. Somebody was being stupid and they decided to go and create 19 policies and 50 different rules and, and turn I mean I don't know how much you know about Disney, but turn it to the Disney one, right? Which is like they even have in their handbook you have to wear underwear. And <laughs> so you know it's like it's a crazy so is is that the shift is that we want to get back to common sense stuff and be able to have these more strategic you know, thoughtful practices versus handing an HR generalist a problem and saying "fix it," right? And yeah. then it turns into that.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I think you know, it was interesting. You know, one of the other um, you know kind of core components of the book was exactly this. If you look at legacy teams, um, you know, because the function of HR was rooted in compliance and closely aligned with legal, um, you know, we were known for being risk averse, uh, and that risk aversion caused us to create. When we were designing policies and frameworks and you know handbooks, it was like, "What's the worst possible thing that an employee could do?" Cool, let's assume everybody's going to do that, and <laughs> let's build a policy to safeguard the company against that. And It was ridiculous, and so it was policy against the many. Uh, and so I think if you look at modern teams, uh, it's about policy uh, for, for the few. It's it's about saying, "Let's assume we're hiring adults. Let's assume they're going to make good intentions. If somebody does something stupid, we'll deal with that. We'll address that." on an individual basis but let's not assume as a default everybody's going to make that bad choice let's assume we're hiring adults who can make good decisions and uh, and when they don't we'll address that individually but let's not penalize proactively penalize our employee population just at the possibility of somebody doing something wrong and so that right. again that is a that is a shift when you look at the modern teams uh, its policies for the many not policies against the few
1: I always laugh when you had a garden and you had a weed come up, you go pick the weed out. You take the weed out, the weed goes. You don't go buy Roundup and spray everything with poison so that you don't get weeds. And I feel like that's what they did, right? We have one bad employee who's doing bad things. Let's create giant policies to make sure no employee ever does this bad thing again. No, get rid of the bad employee. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not not rocket science, right? Like you wouldn't, (laughs) uh, it's kind of just should be how we naturally think about things. And we're doing more of that now, but it's also yeah. as we're moving away from those kind of command and control centralized uh, functions that we're, we're now thinking a bit more closely to what the business needs uh, and, and how we can create systems that actually allow our employees to thrive and optimize their experience uh, rather than having everything being rooted in compliance.
1: I remember watching a documentary on uh, Pat Summitt. She's a mm-hmm. uh, famous Tennessee Vols women's basketball coach. And she said in this team meeting one time, they were showing a video and she said, I can't treat you all the same, I, but I can treat you fairly. And I was like, I just remember my brain was like blown. It was like, oh, that's how, that's it. Right? Yeah. It's not trying to create repeatable I'm going to treat everyone exactly the same because I can't they all come from different backgrounds they have different needs they have different things and so I've always tried to put that policy in place and so far that's worked for us right that I'm going to try to be try to be fair in, in every way I can even if it's not going to be the same outcome for or the same thing for every person that that that's an easy thing to say and a very hard thing to implement right so do you have suggestions on how people might try to to do that kind of thing to have that kind of open-minded, yet somewhat subjective and squishy way of, of trying to manage people? Yeah.
2: I mean, look, I think one of, the, one of the interesting positions that we're in as a field right now, especially coming, you know, I'd say coming out of COVID if it's in past tense, it's not. We're still kind of going through that. But as we move through the pandemic, um, you know, a big driver that is fairly new to HR and frankly business is, is personalization. Uh, right? It's flexibility. I, I think we, we're moving away. We have these kind of industrial era constructs of what work was. You know, Work was 9 to 5, and it was Monday through Friday, and it had to be in an office, and uh, I need to be able to see you to know that you're working, and just these ridiculous notions now that have really been blown up during the pandemic. And So now, it's like it doesn't really matter where you work, and again, I'm, this, I'm generalizing this doesn't apply to all jobs. Some jobs certainly require you to be in an office or a facility or a location. Um, but for, you know, positions that were able to work remotely during the pandemic, you know, you, you've you've demonstrated you don't really have to be in an office to be productive. Uh, you don't really have to necessarily work nine to five to be productive. And so, I think, you know, the big challenge that's ahead of HR over the next, you know, year, two, three years is, is having to move from an environment where it was one size fits all to where it is a bit more tailored uh, around employee needs. Um, and so… That's going to be a big shift. Um, I don't have you know, the the golden answer as like, oh, this is exactly how you do that. Every company's got to, to feel through that, and every company's going to go through that at their own pace based on their own circumstances. Some CEOs are desperate to get you know jam all their employees back in the office whether they want to go there or not. Um, you know, some people are, are redesigning everything around a, a distributed, fully distributed, or remote first environment. The reality is most of us are hybrid by default now. To what extent we're hybrid, that's going to vary. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's really the big work ahead of us right now, which, you know, is not that this is a a plug for your book, but I think your, your book, uh, (laughs) your second book will certainly be timely, uh, with a lot of the struggles and the challenges that, uh, we're going to be experiencing over the next couple of years.
1: Well, the interesting thing is that hybrid is really, if you do it right, you're basically still just doing remote work. Yeah. Uh, It just means that some people are in the office and they can go to lunch together if they want. But like you still all have to be on the same Zoom call, right? You're still logging in on your computer. If you act that way and you you take that function on, hybrid can work really well. But hybrid's also the most dangerous model. It's the one that is the hardest to get right. It's the one with the most holes and the most politics and the most people just trying to game, you know, because you don't have as much clarity and transparency in there. So one of the big things I love to talk about is teams and how, you know, we put people together and we have meetings and and being able to make that an awesome part of someone's day, right. Making someone gets invited to a meeting, they're going to be excited and happy, not like of trying to avoid it and hide under a table and call in sick. So yeah, is there kind of a roadmap maybe to building I guess this next generation of teams, right. In a post COVID world, do you think that looks different now and, and, and in what ways?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, how, where, and when we communicate and collaborate uh, as teams is certainly changing. Like, I think this whole notion of synchronous versus asynchronous, um, you know, work is—we're really just at the beginning of that conversation uh, in terms of transforming how we think about work. Meaning, like, look at your calendar on any given day. Um, half your meetings probably don't need to be meetings. Half of those meetings could probably be things that you could coordinate uh, asynchronously, asynchronously via. Slack, email, or different collaboration tools. I think when you see tools, uh, especially emerging tools like Almanac and Notion and Coda, that allow uh, asynchronous and even synchronous collaboration on documents and tools and resources. You know, so much of what we do could actually be done there. It's not even an email where it's like I send you one thing then you send me one thing. It's like mm-hmm. here's this live canvas that we, uh, people around the world are all working on simultaneously and we're updating notes or we're updating action items and to-do lists. So we're adding mock-ups and we're voting on things as they're there. Like we can do right. that without being in a room, without being together. And I think as we start mapping out the the you know the next future of work, I don't, we don't have a good buzzword for it yet. We need some marketing consultants to help us out because the future of work is, you know, we're, we're here now, but what's next as we design whatever that is. I think there's going to be a much bigger focus on asynchronous collaboration and coordination so that when we do have our synchronous meetings, they are going to be better meetings. They're more meaningful. Uh, We're going to get more efficient with that time. Meaning if I'm putting a calendar uh, invite on your schedule, I'm going to send you an agenda. I'm going to send you the specific things that we're going to cover in advance so that you can prep and we can get in there and jump into that. Like, There's no reason if we're going to have a meeting to talk about X that, you haven't seen X before that meeting so that you already have an opinion on it that you can add to that meeting. If we're all sitting in that meeting reviewing X, huge waste of time. And so I think we're going to be getting more efficient with how we look at where we invest our time and really how we break up our work in terms of uh, synchronous and asynchronous.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, we we found that very quickly with the async. You know, our research team, someone could go in and work on stuff and say, this is where I left off and here's, I need these two things, you know looked at, and they would have had a meeting before, right? They would have done that. And now you just can work right through it. And people can yeah. work any time of the day. I mean, uh, it's it's really fascinating. One of the big lessons that we learned as an organization when we went fully remote, and I think this applies for hybrid as well. And I, I would love to get your thoughts. I'm a big believer that the, you pretty much shouldn't have any more one-on-one meetings. Now, there are some exceptions. There's some HR stuff. There's some maybe some training stuff. I mean, there are are reasons you occasionally need to. And usually if you just go back and think about it, right? If I'm going to have a meeting with you, does anyone else need to be on that call? Would anybody else benefit from what we're going to talk about? Whether it's to learn, whether it's to contribute, whether it's because they're going to have to take on whatever we decide, right, And, and, and go and deliver. I'm a big proponent for like, get your team, get five to seven people together all the time. Right, keep talking, and you can move information around quickly. And you also eliminate all of this—the politics and the talking and the gossip, right? Because you don't have people connecting one-on-one, going, "Oh, well, they want to complain about Susie." No, let's get on a call with Susie and let's work out what the problem is, right? And and deal with it. So, do you think that that's going to be? Are we going to become more? It's almost more tribal, right? It's almost like kind of going back in time to let's make decisions together because we need people, right? And we sort of broke up. We only needed ourselves, and I feel like we're kind of coming back to this. but well, we need people again all the time. What, yeah. what do you think?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that uh, where maybe I, I get your point. I think where I would maybe push back a little bit in terms of one-on-one is I think that the one of the things that has really kind of come to the the surface for a lot of organizations, a lot of companies, is the 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 unique kind of human circumstances of every individual employee. Meaning, especially kind of going through the pandemic, where you had. Some employees in a studio apartment in a city who were you know, isolated and lonely and climbing up the walls. Uh, you had others who were homeschool teachers and they had three kids at home who right. now they were working and teaching. You had others with underlying health conditions that were, you know, had the anxiety and stress uh, about you know, a global pandemic raging or, or elder care issues. There's so many different human factors that I think we're talking about at work in ways we weren't talking about before that I think those one-to-ones are where you have an opportunity to maybe check in on somebody and kind of really understand how they are, where they are, what they're doing, what they need. I think that manager to employee one-to-one is still really important. Um, I don't think that goes away. I think you've got to be more mindful of what you know whether the thing you're putting on someone's calendar really needs to be a thing on their calendar. And I think a lot of one-on-ones mm-hmm. don't need to be a one-on-ones. That probably goes back to the like, is synchronous live the best way to do things when right. things could be async? I think those kind of one-on-one meetings, I do see that. You know, there'd be less and less need for that. But uh, but I do think the particularly between managers and employees, I think that one-to-one connection um, uh, is still really important. Uh, particularly as we're wanting to just under. I mean, the role of a manager right now, it's like how can I remove blockers um, that that are that are holding you back from doing your best work, and that might be a very work-related thing, right? Like this person is hoarding all this information. I can't get it from them in order to deliver my thing. Or it could be a personal thing that, you know, I think now we're in a position where people are more comfortable and open because of what we've experienced as a you know collective in humanity talking about and saying, you know, like, hey, like I like being a homeschool teacher sucks. Like, this is really hard. My kid is struggling and it's killing me to like see that I'm responsible for their education and their development. And I feel like I'm failing them. And meanwhile, like I'm late on this project. And so I feel like I'm failing you, right? Like I think those kind of conversations uh, that, you know, that's not an email, that's not a a Slack message. Um, And so those scenarios, I think one-on-ones are still important.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, where I sort of then teeter out of that a little bit is that I am now as their manager responsible for that. And I'm the only one hearing them and and listening to them and and potentially helping them, which is a Big burden for most leaders, for most managers, right? They might have five direct reports. They might have 20 direct reports. Mm -hmm. How do you possibly, you know, get to everyone and really be effective for everybody? There are scenarios. You might have someone who's like dealing with something very personal, something very acute, right? Of course. I mean, you're going to, in general, we found we would get them together and we would talk about things as a group and it would come out. And because someone else had that problem, someone else now would actually mention it. And they started solving problems for each other which allowed me as the leader to be more of a facilitator, right? And then I started grouping people. So like you mentioned the, I'm living all by myself. I'm crawling the walls. Okay, let's get those people together for trivia night or cocktail Friday or whatever, right? But the homeschool teaching parent, they want to be left alone. They're like, leave me alone. No more meetings. Lower lower my expectations at work. Give me more flexibility, right? And they actually did want to come together to, Talk about how they were how they were handling the kids and strategies and stuff, but I would just think like if I haven't walked in their shoes if I don't if I don't know exactly the problem they're having am I really even though I'm their manager am I really the best person to help them, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean I I would say like I think in that I guess with that last framing part of it is also you know we we talk about the pandemic because obviously that's a huge thing but like one of the other big shifts for HR right now is like the way that we're thinking about um, systemic inequity. And racism and racial justice and 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 that you know I think in particular in the framing of that last context it's hugely important for uh, for managers who especially if it's a white manager who has managing people of color on their team I don't I can't put myself in your head when you watch uh, another you know one of your uh, another you know person of color their black man be killed by the police and like know what motions that's, uh, that's bringing up in you. But like, I want to be able to be compassionate to that. I want to be able to, to empathize with that, even though I know I can't walk in your shoes and, and like right. know that on the day after the, the, the verdict, uh, for Derek Chauvin's murder trial that, you know, you probably are going to have a pretty heavy day. And I probably, as your manager, put, shouldn't put a lot on your plate that day. And Frank, in fact, if I can step in and clear your schedule, right. right. And just say, you know what, T- I'll take all your meetings off, I know this is gonna be an emotional day, a heavy day. Like just just take time for you and your family. Don't worry about the work stuff like that. As, As a manager who might not be able to personally relate to those feelings, I'm I'm still demonstrating that I that I understand that somebody is going one of my reports is going through something that I want to be able to support them on. And it's hard. You're right. Doing that at scale is difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's part of the, the art of management right now.
1: Yeah. And I, and I love the idea. I love that idea. It's a great example. Uh, I guess you just, you know, if, if you have 20 direct reports and you have 21, you know, 30 minute phone calls or one hour phone calls, when are you going to work? Yeah. You got to <laughs> you know make them I mean?
2: 15, make them 50, get efficient with that time. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that's, you know, yeah, you, yeah you, you've got to make right. it short, but, I, but right. I think those checking that that yeah. human connection, particularly yeah. in this era where we don't have it, uh, I think is hugely important.
1: Well, Lars, you've been a fantastic guest. I've learned a lot. Uh, we're kind of at the end here. I know it's gone quickly, but how can people find out more about you? Where can they find you online? What's the best way for them to, to learn more about you if they're interested in, in all the different things that you're doing?
2: Yeah, I mean, the best, uh, the hub for all my work is redefininghr.com. So you can get the uh, the book, the podcast, the uh, accelerator community newsletter. Uh, everything is uh, is housed there. So I like to uh, make it easy to, uh, to find for those that are looking
1: well, don't forget, we'll put that link on, uh, on Twitter. And Lars, thanks again for being on the show. Hopefully, we can have you come back soon and pick up the conversation. I really enjoyed having you here today.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks so
1: much. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in our second guest, Shannon Russo.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest... Uh, You can get this whole podcast. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. I mean, like we're everywhere. So you can't miss us. Make sure you subscribe so you uh, can be alerted anytime there is a new episode. And we'd love to have you always check us out. Let us know how we're doing. And make sure you're following along on Twitter, at PeopleG2 or that hashtag Talent Talk. We are there putting in the best one-liners, links to profiles, links to books that maybe have been mentioned, anything that's kind of going on uh, we, we, do it. So, um, let's go ahead and bring in my second guest, uh, to the show. This is Shannon Rousseau, CEO and founder of, and I, I always have a hard time in saying this. Hopefully I'm going to say it right. Connect. Kinetics. Kinetics. Oh, I should have known. Whatever my guess was, it was going to be wrong. I should have done the opposite. So it's all anyways, how are you today, Shannon? Thank you so much for being here.
4: I'm great. I'm great. Other than, uh, some, uh, thunderstorms happening, coming through Atlanta, everything is great.
1: Well, that seems that to be, to be, a be com- on here. about every other time I fly through Atlanta, there seems to be a thunderstorm. So that's, that's, that's not that's not too new. For me, a so, thunderstorm is like once every decade in California. So
4: there you go. So <laughs> par for the course today.
1: Today, today. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, and of course, your awesome company as well.
4: Sure. Um, thanks for having me on here. First of all, Chris, I appreciate that. Um, I'm the CEO and actually the founder of Kinetic's we are a recruitment process outsourcing firm based in Atlanta, but we operate uh, nationally in the U.S. And i um, been doing that for a pretty long period of time, 16 years, as a matter of fact. Prior to that, I worked for one of the world's largest workforce solutions companies. So that's a little bit about me. Mom of three kids, um, like to run.
1: Awesome. Well... Uh, I know we have a lot to talk about today, with you know your your, your background and, and the specific things that your company does. Um, you know, uh, you, you've you've been the CEO over there at Kinetics for 16 years. Uh, it, it sounds like a long time. I've, I've been with mine, geez, now 20 years. So, it, time flies, right? It's like you just you, you go by real fast. So, would you tell the listeners a little bit more, like you know, what kind of drew you to this world, right? It, the the RPO world. What, what what kind of brought you into there?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. So I started my career in banking, then worked for some global companies. And what I would tell you is, um, finally had the opportunity to join a workforce solutions um, company a few years later. And instead of making fumed silica that actually makes your toothpaste foam, it was a little more exciting and felt like more impactful to help folks get jobs, or that was my initial thought process. Mm -hmm. And so that's what got me into that business. And then 10 years later, got me to form kinetics. I learned a ton, but I also got to see the good, bad, and ugly, mm-hmm. um, to use a, to coin a term, right? Um, and so I, my goal was really sort of take some of the best things that I really saw and try to get rid of some of the things that I felt like were terrible.
1: My my co-author on my new book, Remote Work, uh, she used to run a recruiting firm for many years until she sold it. You know, so it was always fascinating <laughs> to kind of hear the different things that she was kind of focused on or, or the way in which that in, the industry seems to just sort of, I don't know want to say rapidly change. It's almost like a ping pong ball. Like what's, what, you know, what's sort of being focused on right now. So what I mean, what, yeah, what matters. I mean, so what's kind of exciting about, you know, the recruiting industry right now?
4: So um, there's a whole bunch of things. And one of the things I'll, I'll add to that is we are a recruitment outsourcer. So we are more closely aligned with talent acquisition professionals on the corporate side mm-hmm. with The perspective and push that your friend that owned that recruiting firm is sort of like that, the best of that, along with some of the best things that the corporate side might have. So that's one small nuance to to our business. But what's what's happening right now, holy cow, um, recovery is not the right word. I would say like a huge ping pong. Um, If last year for most folks on the talent acquisition side was what I might call a deep V, Mm-hmm. In terms of really first quarter and then a significant drop off down to zero in many cases um, and people laying off. Right. So you kind of had the other side and then starting with some trepidation in the fall. And then by the second week of January, there's other things I could say, but I would say flat against right. the wall. Right. 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 But that's what I would say. And, and more and yeah. more.
1: Yeah. And in running a background check company, we saw the same thing. I would call it a W, right? There was the COVID dub part of it, and then there was the election part of it. Uh, you know, and it was just We're it was not crazy. sure.
4: What are we going to do? And right. then everybody was like, wait, we really haven't recruited for
1: <laughs> right.
4: months and months. Uh, let's yeah. do all of it right now.
1: Right now. Yeah. <laughs> so how does your software then help, you know, people do that? If, if they do it the right way or they wait to the last minute to do it? I mean, how, how does that work?
4: Yeah, so um, what I would tell you is for us, we're sort of seeing that pressure of people who really weren't thinking through the workforce side of their business last year in the what's coming next. Now they're really suffering with trying to hire while everyone else is trying to do the same thing. So if you have skill sets that are in demand, of which there's a number, then you are competing with everyone else all at the same time, a group of candidates that have different perspectives than they did a year ago. Mm
3: -hmm. And
4: that also may change their view of you um, as as a hiring company, let's say. And so where we are really trying to help is to keep our clients focused on the things that will make them successful in getting the talent they need as fast as possible into their company. And, and sometimes that means changing their process, thinking about it differently,
3: right. remembering
4: that the sales process goes both ways. If you're recruiting someone, they're selling to you why they're the right fit for your job, but you're also selling to them why you're the right fit for them.
1: Have you seen your clients maybe embracing a bit more of the, what I would call the advantage to remote work, right? Where you now you don't have location bias anymore. Now you can oh you can be in Atlanta, but go hire someone in Kansas or whatever, right? You don't have to, they don't have to be in, let's say Atlanta to, to join your team. So have you seen more willingness to do that?
4: I'm going to say somewhat. Yes. Not an unequivocal. Yes. That we might all think is what it should be. So if I talk about kinetics, we didn't have that bias before, even though we were based in Atlanta. So we did have a good presence because that's where we started. Um, But we were hiring people really in the Eastern seaboard just to have time change things managed a little bit, but we didn't have that bias. But some of our clients, I literally have a client that we're working on a search for today. Everybody's still in the office. They went home for like four weeks and they still are like, why do we have to allow remote work? And I'm like, well, we should talk more about that. (laughs) Then, but for their team, They kept them all for the most part, certainly through the downtrend they did. And so I've been trying to help them understand what might be coming on the other side of that. Um, And so I would say yes, but not as a resounding yes as you would think Um, we can talk about components of the recruiting process. And I think there's been a lot of change there related to remote work. And I do think that the more folks that are thinking about it strategically, they can think through that. And I think a lot of it depends on the type of job and, and then hiring leaders comfort level with
1: that. This sort of anecdotal, I mean, that being one company, but uh, and then maybe they will be in the, the minority that they are, they brought people back so quickly. Um, but certainly the McKenzie study that just came out said that, you know, if you don't offer some flexible work, about 33% of your people are saying that they're going to go find another job. They are not going back full-time uh, into totally. the office. And what's even <laughs> scarier about that number is that your top, 15% of your employees are in that 33. So it's not like your worst employees are going to look into leave. It's your best employees are looking to That's leave right. if you're not going to have the flexible work. And I think, so when that starts happening, when we start seeing more, uh, more of the populous areas in the country going back to normal, being allowed to have more people, you know, and seeing what decisions they make, right? Yes. If, if it's just, well, the CFO says this is how he used to work in his day, we're all going to come back to the office... you you might get a lot busier
4: uh, real fast. You're you're not wrong. And and it's an interesting dialogue. I would tell you it's a mixed bag. That one I talked about is not the only client that I have that wants that. Some of them are, you know, we've got another one that's a technology startup and they're like, hey, we're a tech startup. We really need those hallway conversations so we can do remote and we will do remote. You're going to miss out if you don't come into the office. And I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting approach. So they're like, you can do it and we'll hire you that way. If you want to be one of the leaders in this cool startup, venture-backed, right, we know that those hallway conversations are critical to how we're building this. And I was like, "Hmm, okay, okay, because we're we're trying to hire developers, right? It's an interesting dialogue. So I I would tell you that it's not as clear-cut as folks make it out to be. And I think to your sort of comment about the study, real where the rubber meets the road is in between those lines. Right. Because the reality is both can work and there's a mix and you really got to think about the type of job and the how, how you're going to manage it and those types of things, in my mind, to get there successfully and then be able to articulate that as you're recruiting.
1: I love when I hear the hallway conversations excuse. It's just another way to say, we just want to be together. We can't. We don't know how to do it a different way and we're not willing to learn. And so, but we know we have to p- put lipstick on a pig and we'll say we do remote work, right? But that's not really it. And
4: I, I was shocked by it because by the way, the product yeah. that they the product that they have and that they build is all about touchless. So I'm kind of like, oh, are we really yeah. having this conversation? But yeah. we are.
1: Yeah. And it's so funny, it's so easy to have those hallway conversations remotely, if you create that space, you create that environment for your people. I mean, I, I've been Truly. brought in as a consultant to do that for a lot of companies. My company's been doing it now since 2009, right? And we used to all be in one office that we could probably throw a pen in any direction and hit any employee. We were that close to each other all the time. Yep. And our communication level <laughs> went up. Our brainstorming went up. Our innovation went up. Our growth went up. Everything got better when we went remote
4: but you had to be intentional about it. And the folks that were not good at that failed, may not have made it, or they've, Mm -hmm. they struggled with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If your culture is bad, I always say this, if your culture is bad going remote is just going to make it worse. I mean, it is, does not help a bad culture. It only helps a good culture, right? Where people want to have thoughtful conversations and they want to be connected and they want, you know, to do things in a new way and think about it. I mean, I don't know. I, I've used this example before, but can you imagine how many cowboys were complaining about sitting in that bumpy car when the, cause the roads weren't very good. Why would, you could just sit on a saddle. You could ride a horse all day. Why would you want that car? That's just, you know what I mean? And then yes. uh, before you know it, boom, riding a horse was a hobby, not not a way to get somewhere. Not a business right proposition. Right, 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 right. So how, you know, how much longer will some of those companies, you know, not be able to, to go? And we'll see. I think that you're right in between the lines is a really good way to, to frame it. People can always work together if they want. I just think they're going to be able to work flexibly, right? You're going to be able to really get yes. great talent. And especially if you're a startup, if you're Google, if you're Apple, if you're Facebook, you're going to get great people for a totally different reasons. But if you're X whatever company and no one knows who you are, you better have the advantage of, hey, we work remotely. We're flexible. We, and we do all these other things that might make you want to choose us instead of Google or whatever, right?
4: Yeah, for, for us, one of the things, because we're a recruitment um, firm, for us, top of the funnel is just what you touched on, which we might call the employer value proposition, mm-hmm. which is what's in it for me as a candidate to come and work for you, right, and become an employee. Um, we're super passionate about that. And we would say that more people will need to focus on that because, wow, somebody might go to Google Google or Apple, or Facebook, for a whole other set of reasons. If you're a startup and no one understands your business, understands what value, understands how they fit in the overall success of that, you're going to have to get significantly tighter in your ability and your ability to help your hiring leaders articulate that value in order to recruit the best people. You won't need it to recruit the people that need a job. And I don't want to say it that way, but there's a difference. And so if you want the best of the best, you have to be able to, to sort of match that
1: right pre pandemic because we're remote uh we, we would we could really learn a lot about how someone might do at our company just by the interaction we would have with them on video calls and all that remote you know sort of thing right do they even have a webcam could they figure out how to turn it on could they you know could they, they, connect. they could they connect was the internet good you know was there you know, I don't know, scary animals like taxidermied on their wall or like, you know, <laughs> what sort of like weird thing was happening that they didn't, they, they couldn't think to turn their cameras that we wouldn't see. Right. And so I have noticed now with COVID though, of course, everyone's gotten really good at Zoom. Truly. Right. And, yes. and, and it's now a part of the norm. And so ha- has this made part of what you guys do different, better, you know, as far as being able to interview people and be able to really figure out who they are and if they're the right fit?
4: It's a great question. I would say, unfortunately, it depends. So sometimes, without question, it's easy. If they are going to have to work in a remote situation and they struggle with what's happening right out of the gate or right more than a couple clicks off, it's really easy for us to make a decision on behalf of our clients early. Right. Where it's tough is where they've mastered that part, but it's not who they are. It's not who they are, right? And so you got to look for... S- some other clues and, and we end up doing a multiple layered approach in terms of how we do it. We might talk to you on the phone, then we might do video. We're going to set you up with a video, which might be a panel video, right? So then that's right. a whole nother dynamic. And so that combination may bring us some things out, but I would say, unfortunately, it's not significantly easier because all we did was change out what the things are
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And a lot of times that initial screen is on the phone and depending on the job, they may not care about this part. Right? So I know that's also another thing, right? A lot of our healthcare clients where it's care related, that's what's important, not whether or not they can get on a video. So while we're using that and that's really helped to expedite the process, if that makes sense, which we would tell them is is a strength in terms of getting the best people. But that skill is not as important to the hiring leaders. They might not even be good at it. So we've had <laughs> we've had those kind of challenges as well. Right, the interviewer is the challenge, not the interviewee, um, and managing that. So it's uh, a lot of it depends. And I hate that because I'd love to give you unequivocal yeah. answers, but I can't.
1: Yeah, and we we just sort of had fun with it. Where you know we've tested different things. We've given them a set of instructions on what they need to do from between the first interview and the second interview. And you see, well, who figures it out, yep. right on their own, who, even if they can't figure it out, that's okay, comes back and asks questions, yes. right? And says, you know, hey, I didn't understand this, I'm sorry, but I- I'm not able to go on this side or do what you want me to do. Okay, let me help you, right? Cool. Yes. They ask questions. And then who just doesn't do doesn't. it or, or, or pretends that they sent it to you or, you know, and didn't, and you start to pick up on so much, right? Yes. And, then it was, and then it was, well, okay, can they handle the video interview on, on the technical parts and the internet and, you know, all that stuff, right? Do they think about where they were going to be? Is there a bunch of noise and cats running off through the screen? Whatever. I mean, it, it, you gotta, and, and again, you're tying that to the job, right? Well, hiring someone at minimum wage, that's a totally different expectation than I'm hiring a senior executive, That's right? right? Project um, manager
4: to do something where they're going to have to be in front of people. You know, they're representing you. It's a whole different right. game.
1: But there's even fun things we've done where, uh, in the initial process, we would just ask them in writing, "Tell us the difference between Louis Armstrong, Lance Armstrong, and Neil Armstrong," and just just wait and see the kind of answers you get. And I will, I will guarantee you, you will know everything you need to know about that person and how they respond. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's not a trick. They can go. It's on not the a internet. trick. They, they, they can, have time. <laughs> right. I, it's not like you hear like those Google questions or Elon Musk so you're questions. You're on the spot.
4: Figure it out right now no, the, while I'm yeah, watching
1: like, you. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not into like that thing. You know, I'm just, but I want to see, because you know what? I've had people write back one word answers and they're going to be in a job where communication is really important. important. Nope. Right.
4: Easy answer. Right. So the way I think about that and the way we talk to clients about that is um, making decisions on jobs to put hurdles So Mm -hmm. you didn't, you wouldn't call it that. And that's not the way you meant it. It actually is something, whatever it is. It's something that's going to help you vet. It's going to save you time and it's going to kind of give you something to compare across the board. And, And so our coaching a lot is if you have sold them enough to get them super interested, they should do those hurdles. And if they don't, so we have a hurdle, we use a psychometric if you don't take it, we don't interview you. Simple, right? right? So it's, a, it's similar to yours, but different. We don't do it before we talk to them because we're trying to figure out, right? We, but it is, in effect, a little bit of a hurdle because if you don't do it, you clearly don't want
1: the two. Right. And right. we do that. We do that with salespeople. We give them, because we really want to know. I mean, it's really important right. for us to know yes. more about them, but we give them a very long test because if they're not willing to sit through that, I mean, it's a long test. <laughs> if they're not willing to do that, then they're not really looking. They're not really going to leave, or they're not really going to put in the effort. It, it is a long process, typically, to sell what we sell. It's not like you just call someone up and you get a sale that day and you're done, right? It is a follow up, work through the process over a long period of time. So if you can't, yeah, but I'm. It's a totally different uh, expectation for sales than it would be for like research, right? Or would be without for, question, right? Yeah. So, so you got to think-
4: fit it. That that That's the other part, right? That we're sort of talking about without saying it is you need to fit the process to the role. Mm-hmm. It's not one size fits all. It's literally not. That's not the path to success. And even more so now, you need to be more intentional about what is success with these people in this role, whatever it is that I'm recruiting for. What do I need? And therefore, what's how do I think about the process and where might I have fall off? And and remember, we talk about this a lot, but often HR folks don't think about it this way. Recruiting is a sales function. Recruiting is a sales process. So when we talk yeah. about the recruiting process, when I talk about the recruiting process, I'm thinking about that funnel and where the problems are and where I have passed through issues and what's causing them and whether or not I want it.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's, you bring up a really good point about you know, you have to, yeah, it's so funny. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a webinar on this. In fact, I may ask you to be on the panel because uh, it would make perfect sense because I think that marketing and talent acquisition often don't play enough together. They should be playing with each other a yes, lot more, right? They and, should. And it's like what you're putting out there, right? If you're putting out one image of your brand <laughs> that does not align with the people you want to get, then what are you doing?
4: Yes, they, they, <laughs> they A, should do it more and B, if they don't have time, which is what we often find, right, because they're spending all their time and effort on the brand, then carve out an employer brand person, process, whatever it is, and deliver messages. Because the other difference is your company brand may not be the same as the key kind of talent you're trying to recruit, right, where mm-hmm. your pain point is. And so align those messages with what matters to them. That's the other biggest thing, right? Right. It's same from a client standpoint, right? It's what matters to them, not what matters to you in order to get them in the funnel. Mm-hmm. And then you can do your testing and your vetting and figuring out if it's the right fit. But if you don't have enough in the funnel, you're, you you won't know if you're getting the right hire. Right.
1: right? Well, I, I so appreciate you being on the show with us today. I, I, I know I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners <laughs> have learned a lot that they can go back to their companies and think about doing you know, if people are interested in in working with you, working with your company, what's the best way for them to, to find you guys, to reach out, to learn more? Where should they go?
4: Kineticshr.com. K-I-N-E-T-I-X-H-R.com. That's our website. And you can actually get directly to me or my partner or any of us um, there. If you wanted to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, it would be forward slash in Shannon W. Russo. So simple pretty simple in terms of getting
1: there again thank you so much for being on the show today hopefully we can have you come back uh sometime in the near future we'd love to keep the conversation going and and keep track of how how you and the company are doing so thanks so much for being here thanks for having me chris really appreciate it all right thanks everyone for tuning into today's show hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way until next time we'll be back live next tuesday do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today